We are live, 49ers live room. The push notification has been sent to all the subscribers. Great. First preseason game of this 2023 season is tomorrow. David Lombardi and Matt Barrows with you. Matt, we were both at the practices in Vegas or in Henderson, Nevada, technically. It was warm. It wasn't as hot as it could have been. Could have been 110. We got, I think, close to 100 on the second day. First day, we saw some raindrops. And I thought two competitive days of work put in by both the 49ers and the Raiders. Of course, it was a reunion with Jimmy Garoppolo. He played well against the 49ers defense, seemed to test them at certain pressure points, especially against their blitzes because he has that quick release. And on the other side of the ball, the Raiders seem to be getting more competitive defensively. And there were a lot of interceptions on day two, especially from all the 49ers quarterbacks. But Brock Purdy threw two in 11-on-11 work, which is obviously the the most close resemblance of a real game. And, um, you know, I think it was a good back and forth because the 49ers moved the ball, but then they they struggled to move the ball over a long stretch of practice before they finished out strong. Yeah, I mean, um, it was uh, a very useful session. I mean, um, Brock Purdy's not going to play on Sunday. Probably none of the starters are. But those guys essentially played a game. I mean, it was it was over forty snaps. Uh, maybe it's uh, two thirds of a, an actual game. Certainly more than they would have played on Sunday had uh, you know the starters been in the game. So um, it was uh, quite useful from that standpoint. Especially the the second day, Friday's practice was essentially divided into four quarters, where Jimmy Garoppolo started with a, a length of the field drive you know backed up against his own goal line and then Brock Purdy got a turn at that and then it was Jimmy Garoppolo with a two-minute drill and then Brock Purdy got a two-minute drill and then a red zone etc etc so they uh they essentially put together nearly a full game's worth of plays and scenarios um against uh you know a a first-team defense so uh, I thought it was really useful there. I thought that one of the takeaways, and uh, perhaps we should have expected this, was that uh, the best-looking quarterback out there was Jimmy Garoppolo. And, and I'm not talking about his uh, his facial features. Uh, he was the, the most uh, efficient and uh, probably scored the most touchdowns, um, not going against a fully loaded defense for the 49ers. No Nick Bosa, of course, no Drake Greenlaw. Um, you know, not quite uh, a full complement at defensive line. So I think that was a big part of it. But uh, he looked good. And then uh, Purdy looked uh, w- looked like the, the next best guy. But uh, the picks have been a bit of an issue. And I think you, you told me, you're, you're keeping track of this, that he's up to seven so far in training camp. And he hasn't been practicing every day. Um, what do you think about that number? Is seven a, a number to be concerned about? Well, he's at a 4.5% interception rate. So that's just seven divided by the attempts. And I think that's a that's a good way to you know measure, okay, just how many is he throwing relative to how much he's throwing. And yes, that is too high. Uh, you know, if you look at just regular season stats, in general, the 49ers want their quarterbacks to be under 2%, 2% or under. So Jimmy Garoppolo throughout the years of the 49ers, his one weakness statistically was that he was throwing a few too many picks. He was still efficient in spite of that. So it wasn't like they were going to bench him just because he was throwing a few too many picks. But you could be more efficient if you're throwing fewer interceptions. So Garoppolo was at about 25 to 2.7% for the majority of his 49ers tenure. And the reason why Garoppolo had such a good 2020 
two was because he cut that to about 1.2%. So he threw way fewer interceptions after Brian Greasy took over as the 49ers quarterbacks coach. I don't know if it was directly Greasy's doing or uh, something that, that Jimmy changed outside of that. But but obviously, uh, Christian McCaffrey obviously helped the 49ers too by spacing the field when he showed up. But uh, that was where the 49ers wanted Jimmy. Brock Purdy came in and threw interceptions at a 2.4% rate. So Purdy came in last year and threw picks at about the rate that Jimmy Garoppolo uh, had thrown interceptions prior to 2022. Now, for comparison in training camp, Purdy's way up to 4.5%. So that's obviously way too high. But I, you know, really, really hesitate to say, oh, just because he's throwing interceptions at a 4.5% rate in training camp, that's a bellwether for an interception-ridden season. Garoppolo had training camps where he was in between 3 and 4% too, and, and he never crossed that threshold during the regular season. Because camp, you're not game planning. yeah. So, and game planning is obviously, at least in theory, going to take away some interception opportunities. You're taking more chances because you're still installing plays. Uh, I mean, it's practice versus an actual game that you're preparing for in a targeted fashion. So, from an accuracy standpoint, from a, a mistake avoidance standpoint, of course, you'd want to see that number come down from Brock Purdy. But I don't think that, you know, some of the reactions we're seeing are, oh, it's the end of the world. He's throwing interceptions at, at a really high rate. Just a week ago, Jimmy Garoppolo threw seven picks over two practices for the Raiders. He didn't throw a single one in two practices against the 49ers. So these things evolve. The 49ers want Purdy to get the work in. And I do have to say that there is a little bit of a parallel path between Purdy and Garoppolo, right? You have two quarterbacks who are coming off of season-ending injuries last year, who missed off-season program, who have thrown a lot of interceptions uh, this training camp. And Garoppolo coming off an injury in 2018 threw a lot of interceptions in 2019 training camp. That doesn't always end up poorly in the regular season. And generally, it gets better over time. And for Garoppolo, it has gotten better over time, as we saw this weekend. And the 49ers are definitely aiming for the same with Brock Purdy. Yeah, I mean, Brock Purdy was not an interception thrower in his eight starts last year. I think his interception rate was 1.7, which is really good. I think uh, I looked it up. Tom Brady's over his career was 1.8. So anything below two is strong. So um, that, that kind of leads into one of our questions here from Wills D. He says, don't the coaches encourage riskier throws in practice? It helps them to find the limit for the QBs. Um, and, and I think there's, um, there's something to be said about that. Um, David, what's your take on that? I mean, should these guys be kind of pushing the envelope on the, sometimes we see a scenario where there's a, a, a what, what, what's really a sack and so the play is sort of over, and then the quarterback kind of continues with the play, and maybe he kind of throws it into a spot that uh, he normally might not. Actually, that's that's the scenario where Ray Ray McLeod got, got injured the other day. This happened yeah. in Tuesday's practice. Um, Sam Darnold was clearly sacked as he was being flushed from the pocket. He saw Ray Ray McLeod breaking downfield. He let go of the pass sort of hung up in the air a little bit, and there were three guys, McLeod, Jair Brown, and I forget who the cornerback was, and they all went up for it at the same time. Brown came down with the ball, um, and Ray Ray McLeod came down and um, you know, awkwardly on his wrist, and he, he ends up breaking his wrist on that play. So um, I do think that there are some throws in the course of a practice that 
you know, normally wouldn't happen. They wouldn't let go of the ball. They are kind of testing the limits uh, in that. But I, I don't get the sense that that's the reason why uh, some of these picks have happened. At least the, 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 the ones that we saw on Friday seem like normal course of practice throws that, that Purdy w- wasn't pushing the envelope. Something to certainly ask him to see if that's been, uh, that, that's been going on. Well, I know that in practice, you're, well, like you said, you're trying to install stuff. And when you try to install stuff, then you encourage a quarterback to go through the progressions and you also encourage him to go to the correct progression based on what the defense is dictating. Sometimes when the pressure does come, when it is heavy pressure against the quarterback, we saw it with the pick six that Purdy threw in practice, I think it was four or five days ago. Uh, I believe it was Tashawn Gibson who got it. Purdy was obviously sacked. It was kind of like the Darnold one that you're talking about. But his instructions were to continue to go through the progressions as as he would if it were a clean pocket. And he kind of is half-heartedly threw the ball. He probably should have put a little bit more conviction behind it because he was frustrated that he had already gotten touch sacked and he threw it. And uh, we logged it as a pick. And, you know, this is why these practice stats – can't be taken all too seriously. I think it's important to, to log the practice stats because they're a good gauge of accuracy. If you look at it over enough attempts, you could see what the completion rates are. But as far as these interceptions go, there's going to be a different story behind each one. So we go back to what we, we both said. The interception rate from Brock Purdy was acceptable last year. Uh, maybe it will get a little bit worse this year because maybe he's going to be taking a few more chances. I mean, that's another part of this is that you have to take chances in the NFL. There are going to be tight windows you can't be the most risk-averse quarterback that doesn't throw picks because if you do that, you're probably not going to be converting too many first downs and moving the ball all too efficiently down the field. So uh, it's a it's a risk-reward balance, right? And you're learning the limits of that in practice, and you're learning the limits of it in games as well. Uh, but if you're going to be erring on the side of the risk and erring on the side of the, of the actual error, uh, you, you would rather hope that it happens in practice than in the real game. So that's just a complicated way of saying this is practice. Games are coming. Uh, you know, I haven't gotten the sense from anybody on the 49ers side that, that they're freaking out about Brock Purdy throwing interceptions. Again, Garoppolo was throwing them at Raiders practice. Mahomes threw seven picks in, I think, six practices a few years ago for the Chiefs, and he ended up having an all-pro season. So... Uh, this is the kind of stuff that this is the kind of stuff that you do see on the practice field frequently, and I think that uh, right now people are just a little antsy because the 49ers have such a interesting quarterback dynamic, and a lot of people like to take sides, right? And so you got you have your Trey Lance people, you have your Brock Purdy people, you have your Sam Darnold people, and everything Matt to me seems to be used as fuel in that debate. It's, it's just a classic quarterback controversy. But in the 49ers building, it's Purdy quarterback one, and it's Darnold and Lance gunning for that two spot and they're both going to have a shot at it uh in this preseason game against the Raiders which happens tomorrow on Sunday it's going to be Trey Lance starting playing the first half and Sam Darnold playing the second half let's talk about some other themes from those practices um one of the the themes uh all summer has been that uh no Nick Bosa and nobody seems to be sweating that but uh the fact that Colt McKivitz doesn't have a Bosa to go against has been a bit of an issue. He's been going against uh, Cleveland Farrell and, and Drake Jackson, and they're fine, but they're not in the Nick Bosa level. And uh, Colt McKivitz is going to get tested, and he's going to get tested right off the bat. In week one, he's got T.J. Watt going up against him. 
So this uh, this week was interesting because um, you've got Max Crosby and uh, you've got a lot of other good pass rushers on that uh, on that Raiders defensive line. And, um, you know, at least in the one on one scenarios, which which were right in front of us, um, uh, McKibbitz was having a tough time there. So, I mean, you could look at this in a glasses half full or, or half empty way. One is the half full is that, OK, finally, he's getting sort of the uh, the test, the sharpening that he's going to need. Uh, uh, half empty is that he didn't do all that well. And, uh, you know, the, the 49ers quarterbacks were uncomfortable for a lot of the team sessions as well. So, uh, David, what's your, your take on that? And uh, what, what did you see from the protection that Purdy and, and Lance and, and Darnold were, were getting over the uh, last two days? Well, I saw what I could see through my telescope from the other <laughs> side of the practice field. I mean, that, it was quite frankly ridiculous how far away we had to be. There was an entire field separating us from well, 11 on 11 action. In some cases, two two fields separating and, us from And uh, 90 so, guys standing on the sideline, too. I mean, and, and, yeah, not, and so, not small guys either. And uh, they didn't let us go up on all the bleachers either. So only, only select the bleachers because some of the bleachers you climbed up to get a better vantage point to get over, you know, see over the line of guys on the sideline. And they said, no, no, the, the fans have to sit there. But the only problem was that there were no fans. At the practice, so lots of rules uh, uh, and, yeah. and very little, uh, very little visibility at Raiders camp. It was uh, it was pretty bad. So yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what happened protection wise in the actual 11 on 11 play, but I will say that the one on ones were right in front of us, and that was cool. And, and I really focused on the 49ers offensive line against the Raiders D line, so I could speak a bit on that. I thought, you know, Crosby is one of the best in the game, and he's different than than Nick Bosa. He's got that Dwight Freeney spin move down. I mean, he it's a vicious spin move. And on day two, he really got Colton McKivitz with it. It looked like he was going to come with a bull rush, and McKivitz was anchoring, embracing himself. And when you anchor against the bull rush, uh, you get a little rigid, obviously, because you're having the – uh, you're having to flex a little bit there against what you think is going to be a power move. And then just straight from power, we saw Max Crosby go to the spin inside and th- there was no chance for Colton McKivitz. And it was a nice trial by fire. Now, the day before, C- uh, Crosby had gone straight power against McKivitz. And I was really impressed with how Colton extended his arms and kept Crosby at bay. And, you know, if there were a quarterback behind him, there wasn't. It was a one-on-one drill. Uh, it, it would have been a situation where he prevented Crosby from notching the pressure. So trial by fire, it worked out for uh, Colton McKivitz as far as the learning experience goes. We'll see how he carries it over into games, but that's the biggest question on this 49ers roster. Uh, offensively, I think, is how that right tackle position is going to fare with a new starter. That leads us into a uh, question from Sterling B., He writes, uh, do you think Jalen Moore will play despite the bone bruise? And where do you view Pryor, Matt Pryor, and Watson in the swing tackle competition? Um, Jalen Moore did practice um, uh, over the last two days. Um, I thought that uh, Matt Pryor, at least in the one-on-ones on on Friday, and and, and this was mainly one-sided with with the Raiders kind of dominating – uh, the 49ers uh, defensive line, um, uh, I should note that Trent Williams did not take part in the Friday one-on-ones. But 
Matt Pryor kind of held up well. Um, I, I gave him wins uh, on all of his matchups, including uh, one against Max Crosby. So he looked good. Now, I think Pryor came in, certainly in the spring, heavier than the, what the 49ers were expecting. Um, and I think it's notable that he's been a right tackle only in camp. He hasn't done any swing stuff. Um, uh, the, the only real swing tackle has been Leroy Watson, who's played both left and right. And he's been, in my estimation, exactly what you would think, uh, somebody who's sort of converting from tight end to offensive tackle. He looks good some days, and he looks bad some days. He's on the ground quite a bit. Um, he's in the process of learning. So I don't think that he's kind of anywhere close to the level that Chris Furster is looking for in terms of somebody you can depend on. So I do think that it's, it's uh, between – uh, Jalen Moore, who they want more out of, and uh, Matt Pryor, who they were a little bit disappointed in coming in. And, and so the question is whether Pryor can sort of round into shape over these last uh, two or three weeks. Um, but, um, yeah, I would imagine it's going to be Jalen Moore at left tackle to start the game and Matt Pryor at right tackle to start this game. Uh, and we just haven't seen a lot from Jalen Moore because he's been out with that that knee injury to this point. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, it's going to be really important that Pryor proves that he can play on both sides because this is a swing tackle job. I will say on day two, it was really interesting because former 49er Jordan Willis, who's now with the Raiders, he got reps against both uh, Pryor and Leroy Watson, and th- there the trend broke. I agree, Pryor's the higher floor kind of guy. He's the veteran who who had been doing a better job winning some of his reps, but he Jordan Willis got him on one of the reps, and then Leroy Watson uh, was able to beat Jordan Willis. So so Willis is only able to beat the older guy and not the the younger recent converted recently converted tight uh, tight end to defensive lineman. So I think that you could say that Watson might be trending up, but we, I think we've always just assumed that this year might be too soon to count on him to be a fifty three man roster swing tackle kind of guy because again he's put on what 30 to 40 pounds in the course of a year he was a tight end at san antonio teammates of spencer burford in college rookie on the practice squad last year i mean Leroy watson has a big time developmental project i think the one anecdote that i just presented shows that you know things might be moving in the right direction but him being jordan willis on a rep after matt Pryor lost to jordan willis uh, that's not enough of a Sample size, it's not enough of uh, data to, to you know say, okay, let's put this guy in at swing tackle. Swing tackle is about raising the floor as much as you can. Right now, I think Leroy Watson's got a high ceiling. That floor might be a little bit too low. So we'll see what the 49ers do there. Matt, I think it's possible that the 49ers swing tackle is not even on the roster yet at this point. Because I think that it, w- the way to watch this preseason will be to watch the positions of surplus for the 49ers. And there are surpluses at linebacker for sure. Uh, there might be a surplus along the defensive line, although guys are banged up right now, so it might not seem that way. Might be a surplus at running back. Uh, might be a little bit of a surplus at tight end. We'll see, though, because the the two young guys still haven't really proven themselves, especially Cam Lawtu dropping a lot of passes. Then a surplus at kicker plus a surplus at quarterback, right? And when there are surpluses, then you could trade and you, you could be active around that roster cutdown. And if the 49ers are active around the roster cutdown, they might be able to bring in a swing tackle. And I think that's what they would have to do to find somebody who's better than uh, who they have on the roster right now. But I wouldn't put it past the 49ers to be making some maneuvers, both selling and 
potentially buying at that position because we know for a team that suffered a lot of injuries in recent years, it is a very, very important one. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be hard-pressed, though, to find tackles. Uh, it's just such a uh, uh, a needy position across the league. I mean, that's that's a big theme is that the college game just isn't – uh, producing ready-made uh, tackles, so you have to, uh, you know, do a uh, Leroy Watson type of thing where you're, um, you know, you're developing a guy over a few seasons. I think they've seen enough in Watson that they think that the experiment is worthwhile. I just think that he's in the conversation for swing tackle next year, uh, not so much this year. But this year, I mean, uh, you know, the the fact that. Um, uh, Trent Williams doesn't uh, always go through a full practice. The fact that Jalen Moore has been uh, injured, the fact that Matt Pryor has been relegated to right tackle only, that's been, that's been a lot of snaps for Leroy Watson. I bet he's gotten more offensive line snaps than anyone else on that team. So that, uh, that uh, education has been accelerated for him. I, I think this has been a very productive offseason for Leroy Watson, I just don't think that he's made the strides or given them the confidence to uh, give him a roster spot right off the bat. Uh, but it, but it's interesting, and, and we should get back to the the surplus and shortage um, idea a, a little later because that could. Oh, we'll do it right now. Um, uh, this is this was your idea. I don't want to steal it from you, but they do have an abundance of linebackers and they've got an abundance of young linebackers that I think that they're very um, impressed by. And um, that might mean that they could trade away one of their veteran linebackers, which they did a few years ago uh, in a trade involving the the Broncos. And I think they got a six round pick uh, in that one. I forget what, what, uh, what the actual gain was, but um, Oren Burks, what, what are your thoughts on the possibility that they could, Move Oren Burks, who right now is their number three linebacker. He's actually going to – he was starting uh, the last couple of days because uh, Dre Greenlaw wasn't there. Um, and then perhaps move uh, Marcelino McCrary ball or maybe one of the rookies into that, that Sam linebacker spot. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover – Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, no, that that's uh, definitely a possibility for the 49ers. I think that when you talk about those surpluses, linebackers definitely the position that uh, has the the most glaring one when you look at the roster. I mean, they, they've been working on that pipeline for a while too. McCray Ball's a second year guy, and when you look at Winters and Graham, they're first year guys. What's interesting to me at uh, linebacker is what the succession plan at that Mike position is going to be, and you, know, you you need that just in case Fred Warner ever gets hurt during a game. But uh, we have to look at it in terms of who can have that helmet in their. You know this a little bit better than than me, Matt. Which players the 49ers have put that radio helmet in? Which guys are capable of it? Because I think yeah. that's probably going to give us the best clues as to who they want to keep and, and how they maximize the efficiency of the linebacker position. 
Well, Oren Burks did a lot of that last year. Um, he was basically the the backup linebacker, and he's got the size that you often look for at uh, at Mike linebacker. So he's certainly capable of doing it. Uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball played it a lot in the spring, so he has a I would say a familiarity with it. Um, Curtis Robinson has done it a lot the last two years. Jalen Graham, that that's been the big surprise because you don't usually see a rookie in that role, and especially a rookie who never played it before. Jalen Graham was is basically a big safety, um, and so he seemed really kind of earmarked for that strong side position, which is sort of a quasi, um, you know, nickelback linebacker role. He's been he picked up the the defense so quickly that they put him at middle linebacker to start training camp, and he's been the, the third-team middle linebacker throughout. Uh, so that's, it, that's interesting. Um, they really like what they've seen from him from an intelligence standpoint. Uh, so he definitely has the brains for it. Um, he's got some length like uh, Fred Warner. Uh, he just doesn't have Warner's heft, and uh, I, I wonder whether that would be sort of a caution uh, this year, but it's it's a it's a good question. I mean, um, you know, they uh, they uh, I think we're seeing a changing of the guard at linebacker at tight end. Um, it's just how quickly that that guard changes over this year. I don't I don't know. Um, here's a good question from Julian B. He says, assuming no CMC or Mitchell tomorrow, and I think that's a a safe assumption. What does the running back usage look like against the Raiders? Is it all Mason and TDP, or is there another RB with a chance to crack the roster? Um, well, I, I think it's going to be a lot of TDP and uh, Jordan Mason. To me, TDP, we're talking about Tyrion Davis-Price, has been one of the stories of camp. I think he's looked really good. He's been catching a lot of balls, too. That's a, that's a tailback thing uh, this year. Um, and he was not good at it last year. There were a lot of drops. That was a theme for sure in the 2022 camp. TDP has shown up both in the running game and in the passing game. I, I think that uh, he's really kind of taken that second-year leap that they were looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, his body this year is completely different than it was last year. He was at about 215 pounds last year, and he's at 228 now. But he's cut fat, so he's added muscle, and he looks – so, I mean, he looked so much faster as far as his initial burst goes. They ran a couple of draws back in Santa Clara before they, they went to Las Vegas, and he just shot out of a cannon. And, I, you know, I had a look at whoever I was standing next to, and I said, that doesn't look like Ty Davis-Price from last year. He was more of your 220-pound bell cow last year, you know, uh, almost a little bit plodding. It, it, it wasn't slow, but, but he definitely wasn't an Elijah Mitchell I don't think he's at Elijah Mitchell's burst quite yet, but he he's really, really fast. He looks different this year, that's for sure. I think a lot of Christian McCaffrey's work ethic has rubbed off on the running back room. I absolutely do. I mean, he Christian will just put his head down and sprint to the end zone, even if it's just a two-yard gain in practice after he's tackled, not really brought to the ground, but the play is dead. All these backs have always done that with – Bobby Turner is their coach, but McCaffrey does it with a little extra oomph in his step. And it's just raised the level of the whole room. And even from a technical aspect, right, all these guys are catching passes out of the backfield now. Don't you think that's been one of the, the big themes of this training camp, these backs involved in the pass game? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it has me wondering whether uh, in a thousand, a thousand season for McCaffrey is possible. Um, it's so hard to come by, but uh, he's done it in the past. He did it in a 16 game season and they've just been, that's been a huge part of the offense and Purdy's good at those throws. That's a, that's a Garoppolo strength. And that's a Purdy strength is hitting backs out of the backfield um, accurately so that they're able to, to, to gain yards afterwards. And, you know, McCaffrey scores a couple of big ones, you know, 50 plus yard touchdowns. Um, I, I think that it, it becomes uh, a possibility. I, you know, so many weapons on this team, David, that that's the reason why uh, McCaffrey wouldn't come close to a thousand, a thousand. Um, or injuries would be the other the, the other big issue, but uh, the the mere fact of who he is and what this offense is has me thinking that it's it's possible. Absolutely. I mean, yes, last year he was on track for I think seven hundred receiving yards, and that was if if you would have extrapolated the pace, that was before he knew the playbook. That was you know, a situation where I think you could reasonably expect Christian McCaffrey to up his game this year, right? And if he stays healthy, that's the big caveat, right? I mean, he's had trouble with that before. It wasn't an issue last season for the 49ers. Where do you think, Matt, the 49ers defense is right now? thought Jimmy Garoppolo moved the ball against them in the two open practices fairly well. The, the nice touchdown pass to Austin Hooper opened up that first session, but but the Raiders were were successful. There were some issues for the 49ers in coverage, uh, where do you think the 49ers are without Nick Bosa? I mean, you know, he's such an important piece to this defense. Uh, I think that they're really, really eager to get him back. When I look at the, the the entire construction of this unit, yeah, they're solid. But without Nick Bosa, it's a good unit and may, maybe a decent unit. It's not a great one. It gives me 2020 type of vibes, right? They had a deep team that year as well. Bosa gets hurt in week two. All of a sudden, that pass rush just falls tremendously. I think it's really, really important for the 49ers to make sure that they get this done with Nick Bosa sooner rather than later, just so you get him into the building. So Colton McKivitz gets some extra work on the offensive side. But for the defense, I, I don't know if we can really, you know, fairly evaluate how this unit's going to look until he's back. Yeah, without Nick Bosa there, you're looking at Cleveland Farrell and Kerry Heider as your defensive ends. Um, and, and that's not what you know, the 49ers are envisioning, obviously. Everything starts from the defensive line backward. Um, you know, that defensive line uh, overwhelmed the offense to begin camp. But ever since, I forget what practice it was, let's say, call it practice four or five, um, you know, the, the defense has had some moments, but it's been the offense that's been dictating and looking better. Um, you know, again, glasses half full, uh, that, that's, uh, reflected well on the quarterbacks, but I do think that the injuries along the defensive line, especially at defensive end, they had to sign yet another guy, Breland Speaks, um, the, uh, the USFL, um, sack leader, David, uh, he, he, he looks like he's got some ability there. He had to, he was practicing. I didn't know who I was looking at. There was a guy, number 66 out there because the 49ers are on the road their equipment staff is on the road. Uh, they weren't able to stitch on a last name on his jersey, but um, he, he looks like he's got some, certainly the fresh legs, which always uh, allows you to stand out in, in training camp. But looks like he's got a good combination of 
of size and um, leverage. He's not a real tall guy. He's able to get underneath uh, blockers' pads. So um, he's certainly going to play a lot uh, on Sunday. So you get to, get to look at him and you get to look at Taco Charlton, a couple of uh, newcomers to the 49ers who, um, you know, could, could end up making a splash given where the depth is on that, uh, the, that defensive line, especially defensive end right now. You know, and Taco Charlton, he's the guy that stepped off the plane last Tuesday and just immediately started impressing. It seems to me that he wins at least one one-on-one rep per practice and has seen some first-team reps. That might be a little bit more of a testament to the 49ers' injuries and the, and the thinness right now at defensive end. But still, I mean, he, he's winning and he's impressing them. And you look at Taco Charlton and you see somebody that's, what, 260 right now? He used to play 270, but he definitely looks leaner. But I, what I really notice is the 6'6 length. And that's something the 49ers love. They love the fact that he's explosive and he's long because they can put him into an attack mode defense. And maybe this is a career that you rehabilitate. Chris Caserica has done that before. We've seen it with Kerry Hyder. We've seen it with Arden Key. We've seen it with Charles Amenahu. Why not Taco Charlton? First round draft pick of the Cowboys in 2017. That was the year that Shanahan and Lynch took over. This is his eighth team. He's been with eight teams. So obviously it hasn't worked out yet for Taco Charlton. I think he only has 11 and a half career sacks. But if it's going to work out somewhere, I think Chris Kosarek has developed a track record uh, that, that, that suggests that it might with the 49ers. Yeah, a couple of these guys who have not worked out elsewhere uh, will be interesting to watch. Austin Bryant's another guy. He, he was noting that he was an outside linebacker with the, with the Lions, had some responsibilities there, and now he's in a spot uh, where he's just kind of uh, using his, his speed and his length to, to burst off the edge. Um, the caveat with that is that that was the rationale behind Samson Ebicom as well. Uh, he was an outside linebacker with, with the Rams, uh, a tremendous get-off, tremendous motor. He was a guy on paper that you line him up in that wide nine, and that guy is going to just make a beeline to the quarterback. And he never really did. I mean, uh, he never really had a season where he was consistently putting heat on, on, the, on the passer. Um, uh, there, there were spurts, but um, that's why the 49ers moved on from him. So I do think you still have to be special um, despite the, uh, the scheme and, and despite Kacerik's kind of setting them up for success. Um, and, uh, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know whether that position opposite Bosa has gotten better, uh, this season. We, we have yet to really see it. Um, I think that Drake Jackson kind of is the guy of the future. The question is, is he there now? And, and I think the answer is no, but, um, the progress he's making is encouraging. But, you know, last year it was Jordan Willis and Samson Ebucom and, uh, a few other guys. Um, I just don't know whether the collection of guys they have right now is is any better than what they had last year. Now, the difference is that they've got Javon Hargrave in the middle. <laughs> that's that's where they're going to make up ground on the 2022 team. But as far as end, gee, I, I just don't think we're seeing it right now. Um, we have somebody in our queue uh, John H. I'm going to hit the uh, green check mark and uh, see if John H. is is ready to uh, join in with a question. 
Hey guys, can you hear me? Yeah. All right, thanks. Um, so we all know that Debo got in great shape this offseason, and David, you, you've written that he could be looking at a bounce back to 2021. Um, so I just wanted to know from your guys' perspective, maybe like, you know, just the eye test, it, does he look uh, maybe more explosive than he did at the end of last year, or maybe is he carrying it over, you know, day to day? Like, did that offseason conditioning really pay off in the way we, we hope for? Well, he definitely looks lighter. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, he, he definitely is lighter. He looks lighter and he is lighter. So I would say that we saw it in 2019 when the 49ers ran him to death at practice. Richard Sherman was joking about that in, in a podcast with Brandon Ayuk. That was his rookie season. Then in 2021, they were calling him Skinny Debo, and he was really explosive. So that worked out for the 49ers. And in 2023, I think we're seeing that odd year pattern return. Now, you might ask what happened in the even years. Well, in 2020, he broke his foot when they were working out in Nashville in the offseason. And that caused a bunch of downstream injuries because he couldn't pro properly condition. Uh, and then in 2022, the contract drama happened. So uh, it became a situation where Debo Samuel himself said that yeah, I wasn't in as great of a shape as I should have been. This year, he's sending shirtless pictures to Kyle Shanahan over the offseason, giving himself, uh, giving Kyle Shanahan the updates on on how the physical conditioning is coming along. So I think all the clues are there, Matt, right, to, to suggest that Debo Samuel um, is physically ready to go, and now it's a matter of uh, putting it on tape. Yeah, I thought he stood out in the Raiders' practices. I, I think that when it's just the 49ers in Santa Clara um, – Brandon Ayuk is, is, is pushing harder than Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey are the, are the two guys on offense who really kind of show up every practice. Um, I'm not suggesting that Debo Samuel is, is taking practices off, but he's just not as uh, visible in, in those sessions. In Las Vegas or in Henderson against the Raiders – Debo Samuel, who, you know, gets fired up uh, against opponents, was uh, absolutely that. Uh, and he made a few nice catches. I thought that Brock Purdy's uh, best throw, or maybe it was uh, Trey Lance. I forget uh, who, who threw it, but there was a – it was Purdy. It was a uh, uh, third and long comebacker route, and uh, Debo Samuel made the catch right in front of the sticks. It extended a drive. Uh, he was prolific yesterday. He got in the face of – uh, Trevon uh, Mooring, the uh, the safety that uh, seemed to really get under the 49ers' skin, and so they the the uh, the tough guy uh, 49ers uh, receiving crew made it a point to thud this guy up every time they caught the ball. And you saw Juwan Jennings do that with a big hit after a reception. You saw Debo do that a couple of times. So it was uh, it was Sunday Debo Samuel, I guess is my point. Um, and um, he did look good. He looked prolific in the passing game. We know he can do as a runner and with sort of the, the, the quick screens and things like that. Uh, the downfield game was where he was showing up, I thought, in, in Henderson, and I think that's a, a fantastic sign for the season. And that, that happened in 2021. I remember him catching some go balls in, in the offseason in 2021. It was It was impressive, so... I don't think we saw nearly as much of that in 2022 training camp. Now, that's not to say that he, he didn't still have a little left in the tank to have uh, some more sporadic success because that absolutely happened in 2022, right? The 
play against the Rams where he steamrolled Jalen Ramsey. Everybody says, oh, that's Debo when he was out of shape. And it's like, yeah, that's he was out of shape. It, it doesn't mean that he's completely incapable. It just means the consistency of uh, the plays that, that he does deliver, the, those spark plays, is, is not going to be as great. So uh, with more consistency from Debo Samuel this year, you know Christian McCaffrey, if he's healthy, is going to be consistent. It's just the, the whole idea for the 49ers is to have five eligibles who can at any time um, compromise a defense. And, and when that's the case, when, when all five of those guys are threats out on the field, somebody theoretically should always be open, and that lets your quarterback play point guard. And that's what Brock Purdy did last year. Brock Purdy was proud of being able to play point guard as efficiently as he did as a rookie, and he should have been proud. I mean, it was a, it was a really, really powerful offensive performance for the 49ers down the stretch. So their hope is to overwhelm opposing off uh, defenses with uh, skill position players who can line up anywhere, who make the defense, you know – not be able to not be able to spread its resources in a way that that can cover everybody and when Debo Samuel can play running back and he can play receiver and when Christian McCaffrey can play both when George Kittle can split out wide or be in line as a tight end uh, those are all different pieces of the puzzle to, to attain that big goal that Kyle Shanahan is seeking we got a question from Stephen A he says are the 49ers showcasing Lance this preseason for a trade um, and Lance is, is starting uh, on Sunday and Kyle Shanahan has said that he's going to play the entire first half and um, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to kind of uh, uh, show himself. Um, now this is sort of the natural progression of things. Uh, Lance and Sam Darnold are competing for the number two spot, but at every turn Lance has gotten the, the first rep. He got the first rep of the spring. He got the first reps, um, you know, when, when training camp started because Brock Purdy was uh, having an off day that day. That's just been the natural order of things. He's the, the incumbent. Um, Sam Darnold is the newcomer. So it's not all that surprising that, that Lance is, uh, is, is getting the nod before Darnold in this game. Uh, if the pattern holds, then Darnold will uh, enter the game um, uh, earlier than Lance in, in the second preseason game and so forth. But um, all of this just does create an opportunity for Trey Lance, and the 49ers have been very open in saying, you know, we'll listen to anything. So, um, you know, it, it just makes him more visible, and, um, I, you know, I, I think that it, it, it only um, heightens the – uh, possibility of a trade, although I don't think that's the primary motivation here. Well, I think that you just try to open up your option power, and I view quarterbacks especially as currency. And you see a similar thing happening at kicker right now. And maybe the kicker, it's more defined, but they have two kickers. They're only going to need one. And Zane Gonzalez is, I think, going to be able to be traded to somebody because he's kicking really well during training camp and assuming that Jake Moody stays healthy, uh, he's obviously the 49ers guy. And then the 49ers can be able to, to turn Zane Gonzalez around for a profit. So kickers in that case are currency and quarterbacks in, in a different way are currency because QBs, as we know from last season, the 49ers uh, needed way more than one to make it through the year. And then they needed way more than, than what they ended up having to, to win the NFC championship game. They didn't win it because they ran out of quarterbacks. So, 
depth is extremely important. So quarterbacks are currency in terms of being able to provide quality depth. I think that's first and foremost how they're viewing Trey Lance right now and Sam Darnold right now. But two, there are going to be roster realities at the 53-man cutdown, right? The 2000 Patriots did take four quarterbacks on their 53-man roster. Quarterback number four was Tom Brady. We know that worked out really well, but it's not always realistic to carry four quarterbacks on your 53-man roster. In fact, the 49ers have insinuated that that would be really hard. If you can give Trey Lance, Sam Donald, Brock Purdy, and Brandon Allen, all those guys, quality reps, and all, you know, we already know that Brandon Allen was a number two beforehand. If you can get all these guys quality work in the offseason and Trey Lance improves his accuracy, Sam Darnold improves the decision-making, and all this is documented and you know, other teams are intrigued by it, uh, your quarterback's going to absolutely be currency at the cutdown because they're going to be in demand or maybe a, a little bit beyond the cutdown if you do carry four. That's probably not going to happen, but still, you could carry four, three or four weeks, and then somebody gets hurt. One of your QBs is going to be worth something. That's not saying that's how it's going to work, but it gives you the option power to capitalize on that if such a demand arises, right? It's supply and demand in the quarterback market. So I think that the 49ers simply view Trey Lance, all these guys, but Trey Lance specifically is who the question was about. They view them as currency to do whatever they need to do once the situation actually arises. They might keep Trey Lance, Brock Purdy might get hurt, Trey might start, he might lead them to a Super Bowl, or Somebody might offer him two first-round picks out of nowhere for Trey Lance. You never know. You never know, right? And if that happens, of course, they would ship him away because they like Brock Purdy if he was healthy. So give yourself the options at quarterback, and you will be rewarded because when you run out of options, you see what happened to the 49ers in the NFC Championship game last season. Yeah, and we should note that um, Brandon Allen didn't get any 11-on-11 uh, reps uh, in Henderson, and it doesn't s- sound like he's going to play – on Sunday, so uh, you know, the, at least this last week has been an effort to really uh, get those first three guys as many reps as possible. Um, let's go get out of here um, with this one, David. I'll, I'll ask it to you. This is a question from Sonesh P. He says, "With the Ray Ray injury, how do you guys see the fifth and possibly sixth wide receiver spot shaping out? Is Bell, Ronnie Bell?" a lock to make the 53-man roster? You know, Ronnie Bell had a couple good days in Henderson. So I think that he's trending upward. Obviously, the Ray-Ray McLeod injury does open up, theoretically, another spot in that receiver room. Ronnie Bell can return punts, which is a big leg up for him. So so can Deshaun Jameson, cornerback. He did a great job with that at Texas. And it's not easy to catch punts. And I think that in the case of uh, the 49ers before Ray Ray McLeod showed up, that was a huge problem point on this roster. So if Ronnie Bell proves capable of that in the preseason, definite roster lock. I think it's trending in a good way. He's got great short area quickness, showed good hands in OTAs. It got a little worse early in camp, but you saw that with a lot of these rookies. And you're seeing it with Cameron Lotu, the tight end. If you're swimming a bit in the playbook, you might be thinking a little bit too much, and then you might start dropping some passes. I think it got better for Ronnie Bell, especially lately. So I would say yes on, on Ronnie Bell making the 53-man, but uh, it's still so early. You know, uh, It's a living, breathing kind of situation right now. First preseason game against the Raiders is tomorrow. 
we're going to know a whole lot more. We got to do one of these, you know, next week, Matt, after this game, because we're going to see how the 49ers think of some of these young guys, where they are in the pecking order, and we'll see how they actually respond to a game situation. You know, everybody wants to, to try to solve everything on August 10th, August 11th. It's not going to be solved until about August 30th. And uh, I guarantee you the 49ers are going to want even more time then, right? The cutdown always comes comes a little too quickly, but they're going to have three preseason games to figure these things out. Yeah, as, as far as that spot, I, I think it's a are you better than Willie situation. I think that they know what they have in Willie Sneed, veteran guy. He, he got popped up to the active roster a few times last year. Um, he also can return punts. He's not you know, as explosive as these other uh, possibilities, but he's dependable. So I think that Ronnie Bell, uh, whoever else is, is in the mix, um, just has to kind of uh, show out uh, beyond Willie Sneed. Maybe before we, we get out of here, David, you explain what might happen with Ray Ray McLeod given the fact that he's not going to be able to play in week one and maybe uh, he won't be able to play the next few weeks as well. Well, he's going to be out for about eight weeks and we know the regular season starts in about five and the 49ers are going to want him on the team this year. So you can't put him on injured reserve right now because that would mean that he's ineligible to return for you this season. So you're going to have to carry him on your 53-man roster before putting him on IR. That means that you'll only have to miss about four weeks of the regular season. Plus, there's a chance that Ray Ray, uh, you know, the, the recovery goes quicker than expected. What if it's only six weeks? Well, if that's the case, you don't even put him on IR at all. But he's still going to have to take at least an initial 53-man roster spot. And if that's the case and and you, you really want to carry somebody else so you do put him on IR, well, you could uh, designate that injured reserve right after the 53-man cut down open up a spot and potentially re-sign a veteran who you've cut. And usually they have backroom deals with these veterans. They say, hey, we're going to IR a couple of guys. Don't worry, we'll re-sign you the next day. Just don't leave. Don't sign with somebody else. Um, so that might happen with the 49ers and, and Ray Ray McLeod. Yeah, that's that's how I see it playing out. And it, it's a shame because uh, McLeod is, uh, you know, most recently played for the Steelers. I'm sure he was very much looking for, forward to uh, – week one in Pittsburgh, and, and now that, that seems like it's uh, very unlikely. Um, all right, one last one. Um, let's, let's both name one player that we're looking forward to seeing in the, uh, in the game on Sunday. Um, I'll go first to, to allow you to think about it a little bit, but um, you, you just mentioned him, uh, Deshaun Jameson. The uh, the undrafted rookie quarterback, he has the the added ability to return punts, and um, I, I think that he's pushing for a uh, a roster spot, and maybe he knocks Ambry Thomas or Sam Womack off the roster. I don't know, but um, he has been consistently sticky in coverage, and he so he already kind of stood out on the defensive side of things. Uh, and now there's the added bonus where he could be your backup uh, punt returner as well, or maybe even the primary punt returner. Um, but um, I think that he's a guy that if he shows up in the preseason games the way that he has uh, in the practices, uh, obviously that only helps his uh, his case of, of making the roster. Yeah, I mean, he, he's they call him a dog out there, and it's because he's feisty and he's ready to compete. He did it did it at Texas, 
uh, in both the, the DB game and in the return game. And he's doing it with the 49ers in the DB game. So we'll see. You can't really practice punt returns until live action happens. So I can't wait to see that from Deshaun Jameson. But we, we talked about the need for cornerback depth entering this training camp. It looks like Deshaun Jameson is a player who's ready to give them some cornerback depth. People ask, why did he go undrafted? Well, I think he was overlooked because he's only 5'9", and he didn't run a particularly fast 40. It's not like he's a 4'3 or 4'4 guy. I think he's more of a 4'5 guy. But his short area quickness is really good. And he, I, I, you know, w- when you're smart, when you've got that football IQ, when you've got that want to, you, you play a little bit faster than your 40. And I think that, I mean, we have to see these games to know, but I think that's been the trending indication for Deshaun Jameson. Anyone else that you're looking forward to seeing? Uh, I'm thinking. Uh, I want to see Cam Law, too, in a game situation. I mean, he's, he's a third-round pick that's had some drop issues. Let's see him when the lights come on. I've loved Braden Willis so far. I think he's been solid for the 49ers. That running back question we fielded earlier about Ty Davis Price. I mean, all these running backs, you got to see them with live tackling. I think that's extremely important because, um, you, you know, the 49ers especially, they love – yards after contact right and um and unless the tackling is happening to, to the ground then then you don't have a chance to generate yards after contact so i want to see all of that and i think it's going to be really good but this has been fun matt yeah I mean, we should note that latu had a very prominent drop at the end of the the thursday practice uh, trey lance just had a really nice throw at the end of a really nice drive it would have been you know the cherry on top of a a good practice, or a, and certainly a good drive, <laughs> just went right off of his hands. Um, but in Friday's practice, he was a little bit more sure-handed. Uh, so uh, we can't uh, rank on poor Cam Latu too much. Uh, he, he started to, to make amends. But um, it should be an interesting game. All those youngsters that we just talked about are going to get all sorts of playing time. Um, and uh, we will revisit with you uh, during the week. They play, I think they play the Broncos um, the following uh, Saturday, so a week from today. So we'll be uh, kind of putting to, to bed Raiders week and then looking forward to the Broncos when we, uh, when we talk to you next week. So thank you for jumping on with us. Thank, thank you for the, uh, the great questions, and uh, we'll get after it uh, uh, next week. Yeah, thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon, and enjoy the game. 49ers, Raiders, preseason opener, finally, real football, close to real football. It's going to be fun to see some of these guys fighting for spots. All right, take care, everyone.